2: One million dollars, yeah, something like that. Um, by the way, I've been working on my Zuck. Uh, I got I'm gonna be rolling out a pretty good Zuck th- uh, impression for you guys pretty soon. <laughs> I've got I've got it pretty good, uh, but I want it to be you know like final form before I roll it out. But I had Jamie rolling the other day because I was reading lines as if I was Zuck. Christocentric life, one dollar. When Christ assumed flesh does this hypostasis become composite Um, if he assumes flesh then the hypostasis that is his core subject becomes composite by having two natures uh, which we've discussed and discovered uh, covered many times I have an article on this which you can go read Uh, if it did then what is the difference between two natures in one divine hypostasis and two natures in one composite hypostasis again two different uses of the word hypostasis we've covered this countless times And I'm not going to recover this because it's low-level stupid shit that we've covered countless times. So you can take your heresies elsewhere and we're not going to do that. Karabinog, $5. Have you ever read Terry Davis or the Temple of Set? I guess it's Temple OS. I don't know what Temple OS is. And I don't know who who Terry Davis is. Madaker did a video on him a long time ago. Uh, Terry thought he was being (laughs) pursued by the CIA to be brought back to work is this an MKUltra I, I mean most of the time again not trying to be in, mean to people a lot of the people that think that they're MKUltra victims are not and I'm, I don't know this person I'm not commenting on him I don't know um, but a lot of people do have schizophrenia a lot of people think that the universe revolves around them and I'm sorry but it doesn't so but that doesn't mean that nobody has been a victim of these kinds of experiments so I don't I, I don't know Terry Davis I can't speak to that but uh, I'll have to look and see what Medicare's video is Palantir $5 two questions what is the explanation of the very long lifespan of the Old Testament patriarchs because they were closer to the time of Eden and the fall is something that seems to um, yes it happened at one point in time but it also kind of has a culminating effect right as time goes by where you, where the effects of the fall are seen more and more Two, how do you rebut objections to the monarchia of the father which raises the ontological status above the two persons uh i mean it doesn't so this is just fundamental cappadocian theology go read basil uh i mean basil covers this i don't know how many times because it was the arian objection it's the objection of eunomius so People that are arguing against that are arguing against Basil and they're just being ignorant. The fact that the father is the sole cause does not mean that he has a higher ontological status. It's just, it's a, it's a category error to think that the son being second in order deriving his existence from the father means that he has a diminished ontological status. I mean, Basil just says, no, it doesn't. Block party vintage, $5. Coming from a Protestant background to orthodoxy, how would you reconcile Paul saying... To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord with the orthodox understanding of life after death. Uh, I don't. Why would that be a problem for the orthodox view? I'm trying to figure out how that would be a problem. Are you saying because of this journey of the soul after death? Uh, toll houses, is that what you're saying? I mean, I don't see to be absent from the body doesn't mean that you don't have like an immediate judgment uh, or that there isn't a journey of the soul. I mean, it's not speaking like as soon as you die, like you're in heaven per se. We don't know that. That's why the church prays for the dead. And so I, I, I don't know if you mean from a like a Protestant perspective, like there's no, intermediate state or do you mean uh a like criticism of the toll house view i'm not sure which one you mean block house or block party vintage but good question Uh, i don't immediately see why that would be a problem orthodox prepper five three dollars uh will you debate adam green no i've already explained to you why i won't debate adam green you keep asking me this question and i don't owe you an, uh, an answer i don't owe anybody an answer i've given this answer multiple times um, I don't see why I need to debate a person who makes Reddit-tier arguments, who has no philosophical, theological uh, competence or training. Um, I've seen his argumentation. I've watched his videos. It's literally Reddit-level stuff. It's the level of argumentation that I already dealt with in about four debates. Mark Brahman, Boglord Dave, uh, the pagan uh, that I uploaded the debate three months ago to the channel. Uh and one more pagan. I don't remember who the other pagan is that we debated. But why, why do I need to do that? You, I don't do... I'm not here to do this for you. I don't owe you a debate. I don't owe him a debate. And I'm sorry that you believe that his tier of argumentation requires some laborious uh, refutation. I mean, if if you think that his arguments are convincing... Go do your thing, dude. This is not the place for you. I mean, this this is... We do high-quality content here. Uh, we don't have to spend all of our time refuting every dumb, pagan, atheist argument. It's the same reason I don't waste my time on people who have T-dump-level arguments. Do I need to debate everyone in T-dumps server to, to adequately refute atheism? No. Do I need to debate every pagan to adequately refute paganism? No. So again, if you find his arguments convincing, go believe his pagan larp atheist whatever he is. Go go believe it, dude. Why are you why are you badgering me to to waste my time on this nonsense? And by the way, if I make dozens of videos over a span of many years, that respond to all of these dumb pagan arguments and atheist arguments, why do I have to make the same debate and argument again? Why don't you just go listen to the Mark Brahman debate, the Bogalord Dave debate, the other pagan dudes debates, and you're going to hear a refutation of, of all their same dumb arguments. Or you can believe that I am scared. I don't care. I really don't care. Yes, if that soothes your conscience to believe that I'm scared of debating that guy's Reddit-level arguments, then you can go believe that. I don't care. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm terrified. There you go. Uh, anybody in the Discord? We got, we've got we got still open Discord if anybody wants to bring any challenges. By the way, any of these people, like, how we open the Discord up every week. And people are always talking smack. Like, dude, anybody can come in the Discord. No, they don't want that. They want to be given a platform and all this attention and that's that's the main reason why people want this, right? And I've already done enough debates that I I'm not I don't have to establish myself as a debater. Like I'm scared because I don't do every single debate. This is not 2015 where I haven't done any public debates, okay? If it was 2015 without any public debates, then maybe I would feel like I need to um, establish myself as a competent public debater, but we are many years and many debates into public debates. I don't, I don't owe anybody any like, I don't have anything to prove, so that none of that basic bitch psychological manipulation is going to work on me. Like I'm afraid to debate Adam Green. It's just it's not it doesn't work. I mean, if you. If you're dumb enough to not think that we have covered high-quality, high-tier argumentation. I mean, if we're debating PhD atheists, why do you think I'm going to waste my time on goobers? I would rather have a debate with Dr. Graham Oppie. And that's what I said to that silly woman on that other channel. I did not say Avi; I said Dr. Graham Oppie. They don't even know who that is. They're like, you said Dr. Avi. I don't want to debate. I don't have anything to do with ask yourselves handlers (laughs) or any of his goobers. I did not say Avi. I know what I said. I know who I want to debate and who I don't want to debate, who I don't want anything to do with. And I don't know. Oh, any of these people debate. And some of y'all are so dumb. You can't recognize feds. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go follow your feds. Have fun with that. And then, come back when you're in jail in three or four years, you're going to wish that you'd listen to what I said. So good luck with that. Frankie the third, $5 back again. Thanks for the response. I found a great Orthodox church five hours for me and I want to move to that area. Cool, cool beans, dude. Only problem is there's no job or property affordable. Uh, Any advice that I should move to a more affordable location I mean, I, sorry, dude, I, I have no idea where you're talking about. I don't need to know. You don't, don't want to dox yourself. I I mean, that's just, there's so many variables in there. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I don't even know what country, you're maybe you're talking about a different country. I don't know. But, um, I, I all I can say is I wouldn't be in um, blue cities. I wouldn't be in metropolitan areas. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's so bad that you can't go to those areas. Now, in five years, you might not be able to go to those areas. It might be war zones. I don't know. Like Chaz or Chop or whatever, but um, I I don't know. I don't know, man. I wish I could could give you a better... There's just so many variables there. Orthodox Prepper, $1. Sorry, Jay. It wasn't my intention to annoy you. You know, hey. I mean, you've asked multiple times about Adam Green, so... I don't know how many times I need to repeat to you that uh, and and explain again why I'm not going to have that debate. Uh, I mean, don't you think I know by now, like don't you think I have some intuition about who I interact with and who I debate? I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I have a pretty good intuition about who I'm around and who I associate with. And I've intentionally not associated with many people who turned out to be Glowing, so I'm not dumb, dude. I've done this for a long time. Is there anybody in Discord? It's awful quiet there on the Discord front tonight.
3: Can I ask? I assume you know the um, the the Munchausen triloma or grip and triloma. How that relates to the transcendental transcendental argument? Um, Would you say that it kind of relies on the circular horn? of of the argument is kind of this bootstrapping problem we're all in it and
4: and so i I guess that's my question kind of in general right i
2: think most uh these kinds of questions are not considering things at a paradigm level so as we always have to explain um in one sense circularity is not allowable in another sense circularity is unavoidable so really what matters is the type of thing in question so these kinds of dilemmas and trilemmas and whatnot are fine to point out problems in um, what we might call day-to-day epistemology or normal normative types of questions about uh, knowledge. But when you're asking questions at a meta level, those, those questions just necessarily collapse in on themselves. It's just like, you know, you can't avoid the circularity at a paradigm level. And anybody who thinks that they can is just being silly and naive. And you can pretty easily demonstrate how how they are being circular. So I don't think that uh, dilemma applies to transcendental argumentation at the paradigm level.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I'm not sure if you run into. I have another question, but sure. I'm not sure if you run into kind of um, like deflationary theorists or um, redundancy theorists, where they just deny that. Um, you know kind of just say that truth isn't a property it doesn't exist um i actually ran into to it yesterday i didn't really know how to respond
2: uh i mean that would just seem to be so fundamentally self-refuting that if truth is not a property or a there are no truth making sentences then you're just talking nonsense I mean, then then what what is the truth value of the sentences that you're using? What is the truth value of the sentence? There are no truth values or truth is not a property. I mean, it would just be fundamentally self-refuting. Is that true for that sentence itself? I mean, (laughs) duh.
4: I didn't really really think of that
3: um, I, have,
4: I have one more question yeah go ahead uh, I, don't, um, I, I guess like I, I, the,
3: I think the argument is very good um, I, I'm still struggling more with the connection but with the one in many um, and then also with kind of people that can you know do, uh, I've, I've met you know decent, a few men of like deists or philosophical theists and they use the argument um, and so I don't I guess I don't know how to stop that bridge I
4: guess they, they use what argument argument deists would like i have
3: heard a deist use it and then i've also um, you know talked to a deist. Well, i mean they, that's they not going to work.
2: I mean the 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 deistic deity can't be known. And so i mean we're we're not just positing some kind of god in the transcendental argument. We're positing the god revealed in scripture, the trinity, the personal god. That's not a deistic god. The de- the god of deism is not a personal god that you have a relationship with. And so it's pretty fundamental to the transcendental argument that i mean you couldn't even, I mean, the one and the many. If God does not have a direct relation to the created order, that there is no transcendental argument. So I don't know who thinks that. This sounds like a deist who doesn't even understand what the transcendental argument is or what it's trying to say. So it it makes no sense. I mean, for example, the one and the many. All objects in the world uh, relate in some way to that question of one and many, right? So there's an object. It's a class. It's one amongst a class of objects. So the, there thus then has to be some grand scale uh, absolute one and many by which you can relate, by which you can um, predicate, or by which you can um, classify objects. Otherwise, knowledge isn't possible, predication isn't possible. So if there's not a divine mind, which is the ground for the um, universals and the particulars, then there is no then we're forced to nominalism. If nominalism is the case, knowledge becomes impossible. So that's the, that's the point of the one the many. And if a deist is correct, the deist doesn't, is not arguing it for divine conceptualism uh, because the created one and many right now has no direct relation to the unknowable deity in deism. That's why deism always collapsed into atheism. Divine providence is crucial to the transcendental argument. If you deny divine providence, then you're not arguing for the God that is the God of the transcendental argument. Deists don't believe in providence, by the way. Deism yeah, Deism would deny God fundamental attributes such that you would no longer be arguing for the God of Christianity. And a transcendental argument is an argument for the God of Christianity, including all of his attributes. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, I followed it. It makes a lot of sense.
2: The Palantir $3. Thank you for your answers. Uh, with the Monarchy of the Father question earlier, it seems strange that the Catholic version of the Creed acknowledges the Monarchia of one God the Father. Well, that's because the Creed comes from the Constantinople One. I mean, they're not going to deny the... the well, I mean, they might, but... Uh, I mean, the Roman Catholic Church is a many centuries of evolving and innovating so it's not like they just outright reject the entire you know niceno constantinopolitan creed but the monarchy of the father is in the niceno constantinopolitan creed because constantinople one is the confirmation of the cappadocian theology and the cappadocians all teach the monarchy of the father without question it's not even it's not even up for dispute it's like 101 so um and then later roman catholic theologians uh Like, if you read the Vatican Clarification on the Filioque from some years ago, it admits all the points of the Orthodox. And it even admits that the the East and West, the Orthodox, and the Roman Catholic view are in tension. So, they basically concede most of the points, except that they just still want there to be. I mean, they, they concede everything except that they can't give up what Florence and Lyon say. And that's explicitly in the Vatican Clarification on the Filioque. So... So they basically, I mean, they've locked in, their position is locked in because they can't deny Lyons and Florence. At least from the dogmatic perspective. I mean, Francis, I don't, Francis doesn't even care what (laughs) Lyons or Florence or or the Nicene Creed says. Francis does whatever he wants. So, I mean, they're already moving way beyond that into like generic Abrahamic theism with Francis. So, So you're talking about academic disputes amongst Roman Catholics that really don't matter. I mean, Francis has taken it all to a new level, so. Um. Anybody else in the uh, Discord chat? Open forum.
5: Well, I'm here. Yeah. Go ahead, Danny. Um, I wanted to ask about some uh, primary sources for church history that you would recommend to a Protestant.
2: Well, the best... Uh, thing that's even used in there's I mean Pelican's works are used in Protestant Roman Catholic and Orthodox seminaries because they're so well done and so scholarly so I would say Emergence of the Catholic Tradition Volume 1, 2, 3 well you read them all but Volume 1, 2, and 3 cover up to the Middle Ages and the Protestant Reformation so Yaroslav Pelican P-E-L-I-K-A-N and uh, that's more of a history of ideas book so it's not just going to be covering the historical events per se um, but more of the um, ideological history so you know what did Nicaea teach what did Athanasius teach so not giving you like what happened and you know who was mad at who at Nicaea this kind of a thing uh,
5: thank you sure
2: who's next there's somebody else that they, they wanted to ask a question
6: Andy, you can go right ahead.
7: Unmute yourself. Okay. Um what's it called? I have a lot of questions, but okay. just to start oh yeah, just to start. Just recently you said something about nominalism. Why is it that nominalists can't have knowledge? I'm a nominalist and I believe I'm an epistemic nihilist. Like I'm so
2: yeah. Here we go. Uh, having knowledge is not the same thing as giving account for knowledge. I'm not obviously you believe you have knowledge that's not the same thing as justifying the knowledge claims
7: okay are you so i can't give justification as like what if there's no such thing as universals or abstract
4: objects that's what mm-hmm. yeah basically sure why not? Well, why not what's the problem with me
7: saying my chair exists as a particular say what What's the problem with me knowing my chair is right here as a particular?
2: Okay, well, what is a chair amongst a class of chairs? Why does there have to be such thing as a chair? And no, I, don't, I don't really see. Well, it's a big deal. Okay, so again... A yeah. uh, uh,
7: chair deal. go ahead. Go ahead.
2: If we deny that things share properties uh, that are really existing amongst them, then we don't have any way to uh, a- adequately and really classify them as having those things. So they just become appearances. They become token symbols, and signs that objects don't really possess. And if you look at the history of nominalism, it caves to solipsism. So you're basically stuck in your mind. You don't know that any objects actually possess these things. Okay, so what's the problem with everything just being appearances? That's that's close to what I believe. Well, number one, you can't then say that everything is appearances. That's an illicit claim to make if you don't don't know that. You can never make a universal claim if you are a strict empiricist anomalous. Why not? I don't see.
7: That's kind of weird to me. I feel like you might have just answered it already, and I think that I just don't feel like that's an answer. It just is me personally. Maybe you did give a good answer, though, but I just haven't seen it.
2: Do you understand that nominalism is bound up with empiricism?
7: Uh, no, I don't. But I'm an empiricist, I'm a, a radical empiricist, so that's fine. But,
2: okay. How do you have access to any universal state of affairs as an empiricist?
7: any universal state of affairs as in like universals, there's just no such thing, I would
2: say. Yeah, exactly. As in like, yeah, so you don't have like access to it. That's sort of- So then you can't say everything is just appearances. That's a universal claim. Okay, true, true. But, I mean, not everything is is okay. Can we move I on? This is not going anywhere. Let's move on. I'm gonna get mad if I we keep. Let's a, move on, please. I agree with you. On you that. Don't, you don't, don't know what like you're talking that. about. I'm sorry. With I'm not word. trying to be mean to you, but I'm gonna get mad, and you don't know what you're talking about.
4: Okay.
2: No, I don't know how else to say that. I mean, you just made a universal claim, and then you said there's no universals, and you don't see how that's a problem. I don't know. I can't. What do you want me to do? I can't help you
7: okay well when i say i believe everything's appearances that's just my metaphysics i understand that i can't know you, that.
2: dude that's you don't know what you're talking about that's a universal claim everything do you say that do you know the word every that means all of a class okay. you just said there's no classes okay
4: do you want to
7: go to the next person?
2: Yes. Oh. Who's next?
4: Hi, Jay.
2: Uh, no. Yeah, go ahead.
8: Oops.
2: Go ahead. Go ahead. Fine. What's going? Hey, what's up?
8: Hey, Jay, I have a question. Um, I know you already addressed the topic of reception into the church. Uh, and uh-huh. I'm interested in that topic because I, I'm a Roman Catholic who's <coughs> entering the church. Uh, thanks to your work.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Cool.
8: And I recently read uh, the book, I confess one baptism. I don't know if you know it. I think so.
2: Uh, no, what, who wrote that?
8: Um, let's see, I have it on my drive. <laughs> are you just asking
2: whether you can be received by chrismation or baptism or is that what you're asking?
5: Yeah okay so I sport, uh, so I
2: would say I, that number one you can't make your bishop baptize you um you have you, you need to be received the way that the church tells you to be received and then down the road if your spiritual father and people direct you to um, being baptized which is another which is possible if you want to, Uh, you know clear up any doubts because one of the reasons for this is that we don't always know what Roman Catholic churches do because Roman Catholic churches are getting pretty wild. I've seen quote baptisms by Roman Catholic priests in videos baptizing in the name of the sea the land and the air. I've seen them doing all kinds of crazy stuff which obviously those don't even count as the valid form of baptism. So um, some uh, orthodox people though however don't even know about how crazy all of rome is and so they might just be receiving people via mere chrismation when in fact in some cases they actually should be baptized so i'm going to tell you that you should leave that up to wherever you're being received be received the way that they receive you and then down the road if they if you feel like you need to be baptized in the proper form the correct form then you should also do that but i can't I don't know how you were received, and I don't know your situation, and you know sometimes even like a Uniate might be baptized in full immersion, so and that's a Roman Catholic baptism, so it's a really complex issue. uh, But the we ideally it would be good if the church did have uh, one standard way of doing it. Uh, That I, I agree with Father Hears on that, and that is the best route because. Economia can be abused, but you also can't make your priest or bishop receive you in the way you want. So I don't think God's going to hold you accountable for something that you couldn't get them to do. So just be received the way that they tell you to be received and then in the future God will provide a way for you if you need to to be fully immersed in the orthodox form.
4: Right. But, but I'm also not your <laughs> spiritual
2: father and your I, so I can't tell you what to do.
8: Right right i understand it well it's the doubt uh came up because the book it's really covers the topic really in depth
2: okay I, well it's i don't i just i don't know about canons. that book i just i don't know i haven't read it
8: mm, it's by george uh Meta, metallinos i think it's okay well i mean
2: he's a respected. Uh... I think he's a Bishop or Archbishop. So, so yeah, I mean, and typically Rokor, you know, I mean, Rokor receives everybody in the same way. So, you know, again, it's a, a jurisdictional issue that'll have to be solved. I, I can't solve this. This is, this is an issue out of my hands. So all I can tell you is that. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, I'm not bullying the person. Uh, the person wasn't listening to what I was saying so people in the chat telling it's not bullying i mean we're going to when you want to be challenged and you want to raise your questions the way our discord has always operated i'm not talking about you about baptism I'm about that other guy uh so we have a lot of vegans and atheists that come from the epistemic nihilist and the you know these domains and the t-jump server and they want to come ask the questions and we always let them do it but you're going to be held to rigorous precision And that's not me being mean, and that's not me bullying. And if you think I'm bullying people, then you need to go somewhere else.
9: Do you mind if I ask a question? No, go ahead. Okay, so I was reading uh, Father Dick and Dr. Ananias' paper on TAG that is uh, linked in the What Is TAG page,
4: Mm
9: -hmm. and uh, he mentioned something about the incarnation being necessary, like one of the distinctives that make... That makes uh, Christianity the only uh, worldview Mm -hmm. that can account for knowledge. Mm -hmm. He mentions the Incarnation as uh, one of the reasons for that. Mm -hmm. I I didn't really get his argument, but I was wondering if you could clarify on why the Incarnation is so important in regard to that.
2: If you read the paper that I did, I I don't recall... uh... Uh, what Father Deacon's line of argumentation was specifically in his paper, but I do recall the argument I made on this point, which is uh, if you go to the paper that I wrote Numbers Prove God it's just a little essay I wrote some years ago that that got pretty popular Uh, there's a section in here where I quote from a St. Maximus scholar, I think his name is Stephen Clark and I'll put it in the chat for the people in chat. Uh, and Stephen Clark makes an interesting argument about the logos becoming incarnate um, that, that that makes the divine mind accessible in the human domain. So if if God didn't become incarnate, it would be it would be difficult for the human mind to, or maybe impossible for the human mind to have any connection to the divine mind. So even though we're made in the image of God, we need an access point that's in the created realm to the divine mind and so the incarnation of Christ the kenosis actually is what is the second person of the Godhead the Logos incarnate stepping into time and space then making that sort of bridge between God and man through the divine person of the Logos assuming a human nature and human nature includes that's what I argue okay yeah that's is that
10: basically um... yeah go ahead you know, after the fall, there's
2: there's obviously a gap, yes, right? There's exactly. a, a distance between, um, in many different senses,
10: it doesn't just have to be epistemic. And so one of the, the things that the incarnation does, as Jake points out, is that it, it, it heals that, it fills that gap, um, and Christ becomes... Uh, as I quote from
4: St. Augustine and others, Christ becomes the teacher yeah. um, of knowledge for
10: all men in the Incarnation. So, in one sense, you know, I'm just covering the Patristics. That this is what they teach is that there is no any any other light that can make uh, that can bridge that gap. Um, and make that uh, epistemic problem
4: solved, other than Christ, the Logos, the Light of uh, men, who became incarnate.
2: As, yeah, uh,
10: Jay, you put you put it really well.
11: I'm, well,
2: I'm, so nice. the if, I'll add this uh, paper by Dr. Stephen Clark. Uh, I'm not advocating everything Stephen Clark says. I'm just saying that this is a really good insight that he makes at the end of this paper, where he says that Maximus sees. Um, the bridge between uh, the divine mind and the human mind precisely in the incarnate uh, person of Christ. And so it's just a really interesting... I mean, he wasn't trying to make a transcendental argument in this paper, but I noticed that as I was reading his papers, oh, that actually would apply to TAG, because um, if, if the divine mind is always sort of inaccessible, if it never is in the here and now, then there is kind of a gap that that would be a problem for trying to ground your knowledge in the divine mind. But if Christ is incarnate, then we no longer have that gap because Him being the you know mediator between God and man, that doesn't just mean a mediator in the sense of salvation and redemption. I mean, He's literally the mediator of the entire created order mm-hmm. because He's well, the so would, new, new oh, Adam. So,
9: would you say that like? in the incarnation you have like the divine mind being united with the human mind in the person of Christ absolutely and therefore therefore that gives the whole human race mm-hmm. uh, access to the knowledge of god
2: well, it gives the potential for the whole human race to have saving knowledge. Um, all, the whole human race has a degree of knowledge, which we could say is natural revelation, the way Staten Eloy talks about it. Um, but that's not in itself salvific, right? We have to also, we also require supernatural knowledge. We also require theosis. So it's not just having some sort of generic conception of a God or, I mean, you know, even Protestants have a knowledge of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that a Protestant is therefore deified because he has a knowledge of Jesus. We also have to really participate in God in Christ.
9: Okay. And one last question is: Would that what what would this uh, what would this mean for the for the saints in the Old Testament and the people in the Old Testament and their ability to know God and how they knew God since He had not yet come incarnate?
2: Well, no, I mean, so Maximus and many of the Church Fathers actually address this, and they point out that they had grace. Nobody can be saved or see God without grace, and so the fact that Christ hadn't come yet doesn't mean that the grace of the cross wasn't applicable back in time. Okay. So the the the, the cross, uh, the grace of the cross functions for us after it just as much as it functions for the patriarchs before it this is why paul says in romans 4 uh, galatians 3 and 4 and hebrews 4 that the gospel was preached to abraham jesus says abraham believed in me he knew me saw me and was glad that's who was having the meal with with abraham's jesus and you can't see and, and know jesus without grace without the news and so Saint maximus even says in the 200 chapters that the old testament patriarchs. They even saw God noetically.
9: Oh, all right, well, I appreciate
4: it. Sure.
10: Hey, Jay, I wanted to bring up, uh, I know that last guy um, left, but he was an empiricist phenomenalist. And uh, there's a great um, kind of refutation in the bonjour book about, so remember what phenomenalism Talks about is that um, the content your beliefs about physical material objects, uh, whether justified or not, is only in the realm that can exist outside of our minds and our experiences, yeah. in the independent physical realm.
2: Right, which you can't know that he, on those grounds. <laughs> yeah,
10: if he, he basically goes through and says that. In order to, so one of the critiques is, in order to justify that, though, um, you go beyond the the phenomenal experiences.
2: Yeah, exactly.
10: That are, um, that allegedly constitute the existence of material objects. Um, I mean, it's a pretty short argument, but it's pretty...
2: I've do you, I've got the book right here in front of me. Do you know which which page that's on? It's page one twenty eight. Okay. Objections to phenomenalism, and this is
4: this uh, applies to the sense datum theorists too. Yeah. So they think
10: they can get out of this issue by bracketing, and just being like, "Well, I'm just." And if you remember, <clears throat> Sellers goes after the myth of the given, um, the phenomenalist too it Exactly. to. Because phenomena is supposed to be a given as a sense data.
2: Yeah, I mean, any of these positions that are uh, empiricist in nature and thus also nominalist in nature, what, what happens yeah, is that. He,
10: he th- states in there, as we are seeing, the only possible response forms, forms to this question is to say that the fact <clears> that sensory experience of this sort um, of order is simply a, a fundamental fact about
4: reality. Um, well, notice they always do. Well, it's just a fundamental fact, right? But how are you going to justify that? Yeah, just,
2: yeah,
10: you're just going to assert it. We're supposed to take it.
2: Well, that and uh, you know the, the the position is is locking itself into a very limited box. I mean, if you if you think that you only have access to your immediate sensory input number one, you don't know that there is actually an input from something external to you. That's an unjustified mm-hmm. move. And secondly, when the guy was trying to make meaningful sentences and statements, he's immediately in the dilemma of saying every, all right. these kinds of universal claims, which are not, it's impossible. You can't make those kinds of claims when you've already limited your system.
10: Yeah, forfeited that. So why don't just interesting psychologically speaking why do you think they see that oh
4: shoot i just said this isn't allowed in my system and i'm bringing it
10: in well
2: the first objection was that he didn't understand the difference between an assertion and a justification for that assertion so he was like well why do i have to justify it why can't i just say it and it's like well i mean you have to <laughs> you have to." Give an account for the claim or the argument. You can't just say it. Like you, there has to be some kind of reason why we should believe that. Uh, and so that's why justification. Matter. I mean, I think I'm not. I think we're just dealing. Uh, Response from a lot of people. Too. Well, that they, because the really people don't people don't know the difference.
4: That's Not but, what I said, by the way. J. Dark.
2: It is. That is what you said. Well, good, you're here. Welcome. That is what you said. Okay. You you said. That you don't have to like. Why does that matter? What is you said? You mean I have to give an account? So you didn't know what a justification was? I'm not misrepresenting. No, that's just not true. That's, that's I'm not, not misrepresenting I'm you. Not that's not what good. you
7: said. I said, why can't I give a justification? Well, I guess we're waiting for.
2: I mean, you're welcome to.
7: <laughs> I mean, part of it's what it I just pointed out. That the the not sort not of justification. justification. Uh, if I'm not wrong, you said nominalists can't give justifications, and I said well, we I all say that. say that. Okay, well, why not? Because
2: well, of because the limiting nature the of the system. The justification
7: that you gave was something that you don't allow in your system. Yeah, so I never gave a justification. Being... I never
2: gave a justification. No, you attempted to. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. What you said. You, you, you this said making up stuff blatantly. No, you said. Why can't I just say about nominalism? You said. Why can't I just say said, the chair you is you here? Said, you said that we can't have knowledge, and I said. No, I, I didn't. I, I said you can't justify like, your I'm knowledge. Very familiar with epistemology, and I claim to have knowledge. Do you know the difference between? I'm gonna, dude. Shut up! Shut up! Or you're getting. Please boot this guy. Boot him. This is so dumb. You shut up, or you're getting booted. Again, do you know the difference between a knowledge claim and justifying the claim? Yes. Okay. That's what I said to you. So why is that even an issue?
7: What do you, you said that we can't have knowledge. You never so explained. That is knowledge. not what I, I said. I, said, said, I said, 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 you can't justify
2: your system. knowledge. That's the first thing I said to you.
7: We why believe you have knowledge. You just from your position
10: cannot give a coherent account or a justification for how knowledge is possible
7: evidence evidentialism
2: Okay this is so dumb that's not a, you don't know anything about what you're talking about just saying the yes, word evidence is not a, No you don't We're asking you epistemic questions and you're just saying things evidence That's not a response that's not a justification do You know what ev- the
7: evidentialist theory of justification is oh
2: I don't think yes, it's that. in the textbook. Get him out of here. He doesn't know anything, and he's trying to say, we don't know what we're talking about. Just please you, boot this what guy. What
7: do you mean? I, you said, I
2: don't know what I'm talking about. You don't. I didn't, say, I didn't make any claims until you did. You, you know? just got refuted. You tried to make a universal claim, and you didn't even know you, you were I mean, doing you
7: that. You just made up stuff. You said that I said that I don't have justification.
2: No, you, you tried that. to make a universal claim <laughs> saying okay. everything. Just boot this guy, please. This guy's an idiot. Okay. It's,
12: a good, it's a good moment for me to jump in.
2: Okay. Boot that guy. I'm not talking until we boot this idiot. Go ahead. Hey, um,
12: so uh, question: uh, If I understood well your version of uh, divine conceptualism, you think you have uh, we have analogical reasoning and uh, rationality, right?
2: I think analogical reasoning is related to uh, divine conceptualism, but they're not identical. Or I mean, they're related. Well,
12: do do you think we have univocal reasoning through divine conceptualism?
2: No, I mean analogical is not univocal. Do you know what you're talking okay. about?
12: Okay, so uh, when you say uh, we have access to universals, uh, w- w- the universals are in uh, uh, in God, right, in the d- divine mind.
2: Well, everything is in the divine mind, um, but no, universals are not identical to God. So, we're not Platonists. That would be the Platonic position. So, no, they're not identical to God. Okay,
12: so, when when we access the universals, we don't have, like, a full univocal access to these universals? Only analogical?
2: Again, the word analogical means not univocal, it means analogy.
12: Okay, so, uh, when you say that we have access to universals, then we might uh, be uh, sub- subject to uh, error and uh, misapprehension. Misappare- okay. mis- didn't you make
2: this argument like three weeks ago? So the people just come in here to make the same arguments that they made a month ago? I mean, didn't you just make this argument in here a month ago? Uh, no. Are you sure about that?
4: yes okay uh, what, I'm, I'm you're really, laughing but
2: you're I'm giggling though. Your you're giggling though why are you giggling if you didn't make this argument or well, was it six weeks ago and not a month ago
12: i haven't been in this server in like uh, okay six uh months. which
2: which eighth uh, yeah exactly okay so it's six months ago so let's move on this is just so stupid I, do we I, only I, get like the same goobers to come back in here and that guy will cut co- the other guy that just I'm got sorry. booted he, yeah bye bye bye
4: uh, just, there's really no even patience know today. What was. Bye.
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're giggling because he's making the same stupid argument that he did. They're just trolling. I don't even think these people are serious. These are what all the T dump people? These are the leftovers of T dump and ask yourself, basically. What was that guy's name? Because nobody's booting, so I'm going to have to boot. Late
13: Come 10 up. Cure.
2: Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, exactly yeah goodbye can I, dude nice try
13: can I, can I ask a question about theosis yep okay so i'm coming from a baptist background so my conception of salvation um in contrast to orthodoxy is a little bit different obviously um so from what i've know theosis is uh deification right so it's uh ex- experiential
7: knowledge of god Mm -hmm. or moving forward
13: or towards him and putting on the image of Christ. Well, it's not
2: just knowledge, it's participation. So it's a real participation of our whole being in God.
13: Okay, and then it's also tied in with something called the noose, right?
2: Correct. The noose is a faculty that God has given to man to know and perceive him directly.
13: So let's say that somebody does not ever get to the point where they have um that i guess that um you said that it's not just experiential but um that it's experiential knowledge got every aspect of being yeah so you're saying it's like if let's say someone doesn't reach a certain point of deification before they die does that mean that they're not per se saved or how how does that exactly work i'm i'm just wondering cuz i i'm i'm a little bit confused on that aspect like where does how, do, how does salvation entail with theosis? Like, if you don't reach a certain p- point of participation, or is it the journey to salvation, journey towards God wherever you land, that is still, um, you know, transferred over? Like, your walk with God
2: is... So, theosis is only for people in the body of Christ. It's not for right. the whole world participating in theosis. So, the wicked will be resurrected... And that, in a uh, sense, is a restoration of their nature, but they're not deified. They're not participating in theosis. So that's so, that's only for the church. So
13: how would you, like, I know this is probably, like, um, you know, like easy, but how do you start the walk to theosis or participating in the divine nation? That's between you. You, you, are you are baptized in the church. Yeah. Catechumen okay. and you join
2: the Orthodox Church.
13: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you.
2: Sure. Yeah, good question. Because that's
10: when you're actually grafted into the and unified with the body, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, that's when the process begins.
2: Can you like this is how many epistemic nihilists now? Uh, about four in the last six months. They come into the Discord to debate and then realize that their position precludes the possibility of debating and then they still debate. I mean, this is just so dumb. It's unbelievable.
4: Did
10: somebody just tell them there was some term or philosophical movement called Epistemic Nihilism, and they're like, oh, that's the one I want.
2: Yeah, I think they heard it in uh, one of their atheist Discord servers, and they think that this is some kind of like smooth, slick position that nobody can refute or something. It's just literal gibberish, basically.
14: I have a question for either Father Deacon or Jay. About um, knowledge. Um, now that we're on the topic, whether,
10: Father Deacon uh, is
2: an expert at knowledge, so yep. he can answer.
10: Knowledge,
2: just at knowledge, just, ty, just the ty, word knowledge. Uh, what's his
10: name? Ty Jay, What was his name?
2: Ty Lopez. Lopez. <laughs>
10: ty Lopez.
14: Knowledge. Yeah. Lamborghini. Um, <laughs> so the okay. So the Saints. Are right. at a level where they directly perceive uh, the energies. And uh, is this working on a coherentist model or is it uh, foundationalist at that level of knowledge? I don't think it's, of either. Either.
2: it's neither of those. I mean,
8: yeah, I don't think it's either
2: of those. Those are just secular really? theories okay. of knowledge. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's not. The right perception of God is nothing really to do with secular theories of knowledge.
14: Okay. So at that point, it's not like we're not talking about how your belief is justified. It's like just different realm. Okay. Yeah, and those were talking about kind
10: of discursive reasoning, diarrhea, and uh, giving an account for... How knowledge is possible and what justification is. None of those theories could or do touch on noetic knowledge in the news, which is exactly what you're talking
2: about. I don't, yeah, I mean, the, okay. sa- the saints don't, they're not worried with justifying their claims. I mean, they see and know God directly. There's no, what would there be to give an account for or justify? So, uh, I mean, justifying claims, knowledge claims, this this is the domain of the fallen world where apologetics is part of what we have to do. That doesn't mean everybody has to do apologetics. Uh, there's a lot of people in the church who are ignorant and mean and angry and resentful who think that apologetics is of the devil or you're not supposed to do it even though the Bible does it and the church fathers do it. Somehow people think that this is antithetical to Christianity or whatever. I, I don't know where they get this idea. Um, but it's not... We're not going to be doing apologetics in the eschaton. The, the saints are not interested in defending their beliefs and their claims because they see God in all things. That's what Paul says. God, Christ will be all in all. What would there be need be to to justify the claims? So
4: Doesn't
10: Paul say faith Like faith and hope
2: will not exist in the afterlife? It'll just be yeah. a constant love? So we, we won't even need to give faithful or knowledge claims in that sense I Yeah, we won't be doing apologetics. There won't be doubt Apologetics is for the unbelieving.
14: Okay, so is it because it's uh, knowledge of a different kind or of a different
2: topic? Um, well, gosh, I mean, again, so... again, as Father Deacon said, the word "knowledge" uh, has a lot of different senses. So, right. deanoia, like uh, rational, like thought processes, reasoning through to conclusions. That's not the direct perception of the saints. The saints are having, it's like if you and I are talking face to face, you're not having to reason about whether I exist or whether we're having that conversation. We're having a direct correspondence, right? Right.
13: Okay. But is that something that, sorry, sorry. Um, Is that something that people should strive for in this life or is that something reserved strictly for the saints? Like, um,
2: that, that's what i was saying earlier like you are to, to be a saint that, you're to be a saint in this life what do you mean we're all to become we're all called to become yeah. saints
13: okay yeah because you know that's that's what i was saying earlier like these people have a direct um perception of God and what i was saying is like you know people participate in this life and they may never have that same uh deification that the saints do and I, that's that's what i was thinking about no i mean like, that's okay, that's the well, the
2: radical you know,
13: position are you still gonna, is if you don't ever have that experience of that direct perception in this life it doesn't really um mean that you aren't saved correct so
2: so the position that the orthodox church says is that all of us have the potentia as baptized orthodox chrismated christians to ascend and reach those levels but okay. we we may not ascend and reach those levels in this life, but that doesn't mean that only five people in the world are saved, right I mean yeah. our yeah. salvation is not contingent upon some kind of like single single experience, like oh, you know, you're only saved if you had a Damascus road Paul type experience or something like that yeah, okay, well, sweet I mean. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, then I most of us, this, I mean, most of us are not, sorry. well, I mean, it's just, we might. there's joking. no point, right? I mean, most people are not going to have those experiences. And if that's, that's a, that's actually uh, a So if you read the life of St. Simeon, the new theologian, um, he was kicked out of his monastery because he said that every Christian has the ability to um, achieve theosis <laughs> and see the divine light. And the, the monks all thought he was being uh, heretical and they kicked him out of his monastery. And he was just stating the classical position, which is that literally every Orthodox Christian has the ability for this. And the monks were like, no, it's only reserved for like five super saints. And that's the heresy of the Massalians. The Massalians thought that um, literally only a handful of super saints could be saved. And like they're the elite that see the divine divine light and everyone else is damned. I mean, it's just ridiculous.
13: Kind of like Calvinists.
2: Well, I mean, a Calvinist doesn't necessarily think that. Um, well, it's in this in the sense of it being a, a a spiritual elitism, yeah. But I mean, it's very that it's very different than Calvinism. I mean, Calvinists don't have any notion of seeing the divine light or anything like that. The Massalians were more like uh, an elite, charismatic type of group. Like they thought that you had to go into these ecstatic kind of special charismatic states of being. And then, then you would see the divine light. And those are the only people that were really saints and saved. So it was more like a cult minds, like a, like a charismatic cult kind of view. Just look at the Massalians. It's, it's a famous uh, ancient church heresy.
10: Kind of like the TO people.
2: Yeah, exactly. Everybody's lost, but me and my five trailer park people.
5: Okay, I got a question. Sure. Um, I'm Protestant, but I've, I've been listening to your stuff for about three months now, and I've been going pretty hard. Um, and the question I'm, I guess I'm trying to understand the nuances of certain things. Sometimes I feel like, even though I'm pro- Protestant, there's a lot of things you say that went doctrinally that actually uh, sync up to the particular bible church that I go to but my question is if if you were to die when you were a protestant would you have gone to heaven or hell
2: well i mean we're not we don't make those judgments because we're not we're not told that we're not we're not in the position okay. to make god's judgments what we say okay. is what we know and so we don't know and what we do know is that we do tell people that you have to be at some point joined to the orthodox church so if god has extra Norm means by which he does that. Maybe that's entirely possible. We don't, we don't know what God, we don't tell God what he can and can't do. So if he has a way to join people to the church in some, you know, special way, that's up to God. Um, And he hasn't really told us that how he does that, but what he has told us is that we have to tell people to become Orthodox. So it's just, it's that simple.
5: Yeah, fair enough. And then my, my last question is, you know, in certain prisons, um, they, for baptisms, you're not going to be provided uh, enough water to do a fully submerged baptism, and so I've heard of them, you know, getting allotted a small, a small little bit of water to do the baptism, and so I'm just trying to figure out, I guess, where the...
2: Yeah, the, your salvation not like well. contingent upon the amount of water that goes over your head. I mean, God can make yeah. up for all of that if, if, if that is, you know, sincerely God, you know, saving that person. Uh, again, we don't know. But it's not the amount of water on your head that's what saves you. I mean, it needs to be an immersion, but that's not the point.
4: Okay. I mean the thief the thief thief on the cross the
2: thief on the cross is not baptized, uh, and yet Christ you know through economia, Christ can make up for any of these things that are lacking. But that doesn't mean that we should therefore just not worry. Oh, baptism doesn't matter.
5: I guess that's that's what I appreciate about uh, everything that I'm learning from your stuff and just from Greek Orthodoxy is the and maybe, I, I don't know. Okay, well, the Orthodox is the right
2: Church is wrong. not Greek Orthodoxy. That's a jurisdiction. Me? The Orthodox me, Church is not Greek Orthodoxy. That's a jurisdiction in the Orthodox Church. So be careful oh, with that okay. because okay, okay, okay great. I, 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 I'm not under any Greek churches. I, I don't go to Greek churches. Not because I don't like nah. Greeks, but I'm not under GoArch. So be careful. Okay. Be careful okay. there.
5: Okay, cool. I appreciate that. Um, what I see through orthodoxy and say Protestant is I would almost interpret orthodoxy as truth leaning and Protestant as grace leaning is that even though obviously there's there's a little bit of both uh, in each but I just I, see I don't think, that's, what, I think that's
2: wrong I mean I don't think Protestants have anything close to the correct conception of grace at all so I don't think that's right at all I mean grace is literally participating in the life of God um it's an uncreated reality. No Protestant church in the world teaches that. So they're not, they are okay. not. They may use the word grace a lot, but it, that's not the point. The point is, what do you mean by it? And do you have the correct meaning of that word, not do you use the word a lot?
5: Well, absolutely. I mean, for me, grace would be how we treat people and how we forgive. You know, we extend grace yeah, towards that's, others. That's I guess. not what
2: grace is. Totally wrong. Nope. I mean, there might okay. be an okay. aspect that's mercy, being merciful to people but grace in scripture is participating in the life of God Jesus says in John 17 that he came to give us a participation in the glory that he had with the father before the foundation of the world and the glory of God is not a creature it's an uncreated reality so the grace of God which is immortality which is eternal life is not merely being merciful towards people. It's not even merely God's disposition towards us. And most Protestant churches, they, they see grace as God's favorable disposition towards humans. That's not what wow. grace primarily is. It's the reality of participating in uncreated grace.
5: And what's a good, uh, I guess, as far as early church fathers, what would be a good place to start when uh, getting the correct understanding of, of grace?
2: Saint Athanasius on the Incarnation, and then read the Cappadocians, the Five Theological Orations of Gregory Nazianzus, Basil on the Holy Spirit.
5: Okay, awesome. Hey, thank you so much.
2: Sure, anytime. Anybody else?
13: Just, just a quick thing. What, what are your thoughts on James B. Jordan?
2: Uh, I mean, I was—I've re- been reading James Jordan since two thousand three.
0: Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.
5: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.
1: Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching.
13: Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof.
1: Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.
2: Years ago to get uh, all of his works at that time. So I have a giant crate of all of James Jordan's unpublished works my godfather just went to the james jordan estate to buy the rights to his works to publish them um cabane tommy hamilton um has been reading james jordan for the last 10 or 15 years um so there's a lot of great insights in james jordan um i know that he's i think he's probably close to passing away uh i I would have wished that jordan had become orthodox um so that's, yeah, uh, that's what
13: I'm saying. Like he—he he actually led me into orthodoxy,
2: so, as as he did many you know, people. Like, so
13: I'm thinking like it, there has to be some sort of leeway when it comes to that, because he—he obviously has is such a great Bible expositor. I can't imagine that the Lord is going to, um, you know. Condemn him for not being—I don't know.
4: That's just—that's just what I'm thinking.
2: Uh, like, I mean, I'm not going to presume know? to say what God does or doesn't do, and that's again, this—that's what you know. This—that's a Protestant type of thing, right? We don't do that, so yeah. um, I'm not going to. Okay. But I mean, I know what he's already said about people who create their own churches, and so I mean, that's again, I—I I, I would like to have much, as much leeway. I want to hope the best. Maybe he, if he's not dead yet, he will convert. I don't know, but I mean, you can't rip off the church fathers and create your own pseudo Anglican sect for 20 years. And it just doesn't work that way. You don't have the right to do that. I mean, I've interacted with all those Doug Wilson people many, m- many years ago, not anytime soon. Um, and I think those, a lot of those people are scoundrels, man. There are a lot of those people. I don't mean the people in the church. There's a lot of sincere people in the church. I mean the the people that run those churches, um, I, think, I don't think those are the most uh, gen- genuine people. And okay. that doesn't mean that Doug Wilson can't, you know, do a decent transcendental argument when he debates with Hitchens, but um, I just, I don't have a very high view of any of those people, so.
4: Alright.
2: And it has nothing All to right. do with anything personal. I don't know any of those people on a personal level. Um, but I I don't have a lot of respect for people that LARP as Orthodox uh, pseudo-Anglicans and then try to convert people, um, try to steer people going towards Orthodoxy into their pseudo-Anglicanism. That's all that those people are doing. So they're just either grifters uh, or frauds or um, I don't know what else to say. So, Alrighty, thank you.
11: I had a question about, um,
2: and by the, the way, they, those people revelation. have been very nasty I, towards I, me I a little
11: late, so I apologize if you'd covered this earlier, but, um, you often hear people say things like revelation is closed and I'm not sure if they're sort of referring to like the book of revelation or revelation, you know, as a, as a concept of understanding what's true, but I was just wondering if you've ever sort of explained what your understanding of revelation is, you know, the people who can receive it and, uh. Maybe just the orthodox perspective uh, Kind of in a bigger sense Because um, I, I, I think it's
2: that seems the to book, come up a lot in The debates. book of Revelation? What's that? You talking about the end times? The book of Revelation?
11: No, so like Revelation in the sense of like You know, God reveals something to a person That's, you know, practicing asceticism Is living a holy life And has, you know, absolute truth revealed to them Not like the book of the apocalypse I mean, been, oh, like, I can't whoa, find whoa, whoa, whoa! Every time I try so to look down. into this, yeah, I find stuff about the last book of canon of scripture.
2: Well, so typically, no, we don't encourage that uh, because we are very prone to delusion. So that's not to say that God can't do those things, um, or that he—that I mean, many of the saints have been clairvoyant, sure, but that's a different thing from absolute truth being equated to your private revelations. That's no, we would never say that. And uh, the canon is closed. There's no new revelations that was closed a long time ago. Um, and so the only time that these things would be allowed is if you are in the Orthodox Church and you are under some spiritual father and you are living the life of the church and, and in time it becomes confirmed that you are really receiving things from the Holy Spirit and not from delusions. So that's why you're not finding any of that is because the Orthodox Church discourages that. And we do not accept and promote any of those charismatic delusions. In fact, we think that's a huge delusion.
11: Yeah, I know that I've you know I heard a lot about the concept of prelasts and uh, obviously that's something
4: okay so, so so
2: let me uh, let me stop uh, you right seat. there. let me stop you right there. So this is not an issue. I'm not being mean to you. I'm just saying like th- you don't even need to worry about this, right you need if you're if you're wanting to become orthodox, don't even worry about that. you need to become Orthodox, learn the basics, become a catechumen and then you start there and this kind of stuff that if, if that happens that's down the road you, why in other words this this is not even a question that you should be really worried about
11: oh I uh yeah I became orthodox about six months ago and oh, this, cool. it's just something that uh you know hearing some of your debates um sort of I've, the point where I see them sort of ending a lot of the times is the the you know final way to know if something is true or not is through revelation as opposed to you know natural theology or some of these other ways that people you debate against or you know
2: oh, okay but i i don't mean charismatic effective. private revelations i mean the body of doctrines taught by scripture the apostles and the church that's what revelation means i, I don't mean like you're praying and you hear a voice and it's gabriel talking to you that's not what i'm talking i'm talking about scripture tradition church fathers that's revelation not private revelations which are possible, but we don't give, in fact, it's funny you said that because actually uh, when I was writing down some text from uh, Syric about economics, I had forgotten about this text in Syric. Let me find it where it actually talks about this issue. So, and it's noting that we, we have to be very careful to not pay attention to uh, personal private visions over the public dogma and revelation of the church. So this is Sirach, let me pull this up, 34, yes now this is a lot of times people ask this question this is a very helpful section that i had forgotten about that i just saw today what about dreams what about visions oh let me put this up on the screen for the audience here so you guys can see this oh man not that yeah what about dreams visions private revelations what about all that kind of stuff A man of no understanding has vain and false hopes, and dreams give wings to fools. How many charismatic, I'm not talking about you, but how many charismatic idiots and goobers are out there? The Lord sent me a dream, and he told me in my dream the end times is coming. No, dreams give wings to fools. As one who catches at a shadow and pursues the wind, so is he who gives heed to dreams. The vision of dreams is this against that. And the lightness of a face confronting a face from an unclean thing, what will be made clean and from something false, what will be made true divinations and omens and dreams are folly. And like a woman in travail, the mind has fancies unless they are sent from the most high as a visitation. Do not give mind to your dreams. Dreams have deceived many and those who put their hope in them will fail or have failed without such deceptions. The law will be fulfilled. And wisdom is made perfect in truthful lips. So is it possible that God can send a a saint, a clairvoyant, a dream? Yes. And that is always done under spiritual supervision. It's not you out there as a lone prophet of the end times or that's all Protestant nonsense and delusion. And so the reason Father Deacon, are you there?
4: I'm here, sorry, go
2: ahead. It's okay, so oh, you've yeah. you've spoken to this so many times. Why is it so, so important that the spiritual father is involved in our spiritual life when it comes to these kinds of experiences? Yeah, I was talking with uh, a student about this too and
10: just kind of comparing and contrasting different worldviews, just Western religions in general. I mean, I guess anything that's not orthodox. We take a skeptical view of ourselves. Um, in fact, we could say we presuppose that we're getting it wrong and we're deluded. Th- that's how we orthodox. Um, so we can't do it by, ourselves. we've already admitted that we're messed up and we're not in a position to actually have
4: discernment as individuals. Um, we're all under demonic
10: influence, especially in dreams. Um, and so, um, what we do do, what does that mean that we can never make any judgments? No, we have a mechanism. First of all, we may be the only institution that even
4: has in our theology something identified like that called Prevost that you're incapable as an individual and you're under constant deception and
10: deluded, um, getting spiritual highs, um, getting visions from all these different things. The Lord's speaking to me. Um, most religions or paradigms don't have any concept that that's approached, like that's
0: demonic delusion that you're spiritual delusion that you're under. And
10: so the way that we get out of that is again, a holistic picture You have, you submit yourself to an authority. Um, You have a spiritual father who has the discernment, and they're in check as well, so they don't operate just by themselves as a spiritual leader, self-proclaimed or something like that. Um, And part of their check, too, is they've lived, they've gained their reputation among the Orthodox community, who's the only institution a position to actually give a coherent account of all this stuff and how knowledge of deception is possible they gain a reputation of having spiritual credentials of discernment so they don't stand alone they have a spiritual father too and they're in accord with all the counsels and teachings of the father when they give their guidance so they can be judged so when we go through an individual experience um, and I have it all the time where I think like God's opening doors and speaking to me, brothers, um, I've got to go take it to my spiritual father. What does this mean? Uh, is it God? Is this right for me to do? And um, I mean, how many times for you Orthodox out there? That you think there's a right thing, or God's telling you something, you talk to your spiritual father, or father confessor, and they're like, they say no.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, there's so much confusion over this. People in the in the text are saying are saying that we're being Protestant. Did you not hear what he just said, Father Deacon? He just literally said that the Orthodox Church is the only church that has the mechanism to not fall into the Protestant delusion. Are you listening to what is being said? How on earth How on earth could you uh, just think that what we just said was Protestant? I mean, do, do you understand that? So, Revelation is, it's not Protestant to say that Revelation is scripture and tradition. That's the first thing I said. That's not Protestant. Protestants don't believe tradition is part of Revelation. And that's what I just said. So, where did you get Protestant out of that? That's crazy
10: where are these guys writing
2: uh the youtube text chat no the youtube text
11: chat something else that on this subject that i that you know just from reading the desert fathers and you know ancient future faith or whatever the father said from rose book is, is i feel like the protestant circles that i was in before becoming orthodox completely ignore the aesthetic side of living a christian life i mean They might do some good works or have a food bank or something but the concept of fasting the concept of the other things that are required for god to interact with people all throughout the old and the new testament like they're all they're this common thread of selflessness and giving large portions of their money to the poor and all these things that most christians pick your denomination or heretics or whatever like don't even consider as part of it and then like you said you got little kc copeland out here just screaming at people just filled with some sort of demonic spirit saying that this is revelation but um yeah i don't know i I appreciate what you guys said
10: yeah i I mean mean, even i mean it's more than just doing good deeds i mean this is something that would be clear even in ethics too Mm -hmm. that um so, let's say you have two people. Um, let's say he's a police officer. Jay's a and he, Hello? So, I that? Am I, that or, am I or something? Who is
2: this chick talking and why is she... What is she talking about? I'm blurred. She's <laughs> the BPP, the crucibles uh, wife. She was up in Indiana. Okay.
10: Blessings. Um, so... Two police officers, and they walk into a bar. No, they two police officers they are doing all the, the good deeds, right? Um, one does it because, let's say, it's the right thing to do, and the other one does it because he doesn't want to get in trouble and wants a reputation, such and such. Um, obviously, intention um, matters, and I would argue that – so it's not simply just doing – the deeds, intention matters. And I would even say the paradigm matters in which you're operating it, too. So for me, there's no convincing argument that, well, look at this person. Look at all the good deeds that they're doing in their weird religion. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. It's like
11: the do gooding liberal that, uh, you know, on Judgment Day, if you are doing these things for any reason other than to glorify God and reduce yourself and lift him up, it's not going to give you a very strong case
2: for the judgment seat. There's a couple more uh, texts too, to keep in mind about this because this comes up a lot. I just want to mention these really brief and we'll notice that um, in Paul's epistle, he basically follows the principle of Deuteronomy 13 and 18. So if you look at Deuteronomy 13 and 18, we know that uh, a true prophet when he arises or a dreamer of dreams or a giver of signs and wonders amplify your career
0: through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals from courses to help you attain or retain certification to individualized coaching services to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen management concepts optimizes your professional development online in person individually or groups it's training that's measurably better Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.
2: The sign and wonder which he tells you comes to pass, and he says, let us follow other gods that you have not known. You will not listen to the words of that prophet or to the dreamer of dreams. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after him. Right? Don't give in to or follow a, a false prophet who tells you to follow a different teaching, even if he does some kind of weird sign or wonder. And we know that that's uh, related to Christ because Christ in Deuteronomy 3, uh, later on, Mo- Moses will talk about a coming prophet who will be like him, like Moses who will, you know, uh, teach you in the, in the way. It's a prediction of Christ, in other words, as the, the coming prophet, right? In Deuteronomy 18, 15, which we'll see here in a second. But there's another principle before that in Deuteronomy 18, where it says, when you come into the land that the, the Lord gives you, you will not <clears throat> follow the abominable practices of those nations. There will not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughters as an offering. Don't do human sacrifice. Don't do divination, saying, Don't be a sorcerer, a charmer, a medium, a wizard, a necromancer. For the Lord, whoever does these things, is an abomination. And then it goes on to say, The Lord will raise up a prophet from among you, and him you will heed. Just as you desire the Lord your God at Horeb, uh, I'll raise up for them a prophet, like you from among the brethren. This is not about uh, Muhammad, by the way. This is obviously about Christ. Because remember, what did Deuteronomy 13 say? That the prophet has to teach in continuity with the previous revelation. So whoever comes along as a prophet, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, and ultimately the culmination of all the prophets, Christ himself has has to be, somebody please, please mute. Somebody has to be in continuity with the previous revelation, with the law of Moses, the Torah, right? And that proves that Marcionism is false, It's the same God of the Old Testament and New Testament because Jesus has to be teaching in continuity with this or else he's not a true prophet. And that's why throughout the Gospel of John, as we've seen throughout our lectures in John, Jesus is saying that he's teaching the same thing as Moses and Abraham and Genesis, right? And the other prophets. It's the same God, same, it's the Trinity. It's not generic theism. But notice this, um, whoever won't listen to this prophet, I will require it of him. How will we know that he has spoken the words of the Lord? And he says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if, he doesn't, if the word does not come to pass, then he's spoken presumptuously and you don't have to listen to him. So if he doesn't say, if he says things that don't come to pass, that's one sign that it's a false prophet. But if he says things that come to pass, Deuteronomy 13, and he says, follow another God, then you also don't follow him because God is testing you and it's a delusion or a trick or a scam or whatever. Now, Paul is just upholding the same principle in Galatians 1 when he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ to go to a different gospel. Not that there actually is a different gospel, but some of you want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. See? See? So Paul is saying that the the gospel that I delivered to you was not delivered via man, it came from Christ. It is the same gospel Christ preached, contra what Muslims say. It's the same gospel that Moses preached, contra what countless heretics and Marcionites think. So it's the same gospel from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the patristic period. And the principle of not going outside outside the bounds of revelation, is the focal point here, right? This is what number one cuts off any possible cult leader, any cult leader that comes along that is not consistent with Mosaic Revelation, the New Testament, and the Church Fathers is automatically out of here. You're a cult. No, we know we don't have to listen to you because you're not consistent with the previous revelation. It's that simple. So no JWs, no Mormons, none of that stuff. That's all out of here. Get out of here. We don't have we don't we already know from the outset we don't have to listen even if a so-called angel, right? It's almost like Galatians 1 could have been written against Moroni. An angel from heaven appeared and he said, follow the polytheistic, you know, no, we don't have to listen to that. Get out of here. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't, that there's no place for miracles. Uh, St. John Maximovich, he was famously clairvoyant. Uh, St. John of Kronstadt, he had dreams, prophetic dreams that have come true. Uh, how many St. Paisios, Elder Justin Parvu have said they're going to send you a stabby. Don't take the stabby. I mean, countless examples of this clairvoyance. But even the clairvoyance is not on the same status as divine revelation, you see. Anyway, hopefully that illustrates the point.
5: Uh, I've got a question. Sure. Um, how does uh, hesychasm? tie into kind of the topic from revelation and and everything where does what are your thoughts on hesychasm
2: so again that's something that's done uh as you that's not what you when you're new to orthodox christianity this is not your concern i'm not talking about you or me um but that's for down the road as you advance in the spiritual life and you do that under by the way your spiritual father is not just your priest right you're, you might have a not very spiritually advanced priest, but that's your only uh, access to sacraments. Your spiritual father might be a monk in a monastery, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's going to be done under a spiritual father, down the road. And so he will help you to know whether you're being deluded or not. So the orthodoxy is different from Rome and Protestantism because in Rome, everything is checked. Like, oh, I got to check with the Pope, right? What's the Pope saying? Uh, that's going to be the like the focal point of how we judge. it. And then and Protestants, oh, it's me and my Bible, right? Oh, I'm gonna. That's the focal point of everything. So both of those are delusion-based systems because you're not being checked and balanced by the synodal conciliar model. And if you look at Acts 15, it's not Protestant and it's not papal. When they have the apostolic meeting, even the apostles listen to the other apostles. They do a a Checks and balance move. Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've done um, large amounts of psychedelics, and you go into certain states that it, when I study uncreated light and things like this, I very much learned that whatever's going on there for people in that setting, it's like it's a hundred percent a counterfeit. But I do see certain similarities in in theory as to what people are trying to do when through uh, deep prayer, you know, kind of what has a chasm is all about. Yeah. But so right. It makes, it makes yeah. a lot of sense.
2: So, but you have to be careful because if you read the book, uh, the elder, the, the guru, the elder and the young man or whatever it's called, like that, he will point out in there, even father Rose talks about it too that a lot of people who are in Eastern religions that, um, they're, they're confusing created light with uncreated light. So you, mm. you can be a, uh, buddhist monk that meditates or uh you know whatever and you go into the inner domain and you see light and you think oh that's god right no that is created light in the noetic realm could be an angel could be a demon could be anything and a lot of those people are confusing that with the uncreated light that the saints see so that's a delusion that's even covered in a lot of our uh spiritual writings
5: that makes sense thanks
2: sure
13: Hey, Jay, do you have any talks about the stabby that, that
2: you could link? Uh, like they're, they're all, again, uh, guys, I mean, I'm not being rude, but like, so about once a week, I host Lord Voldemort's fourth hour. I cover most of these topics. People in the chat are asking, when did you cover the World Festival? Uh, I covered it for millions of people on syndicated radio and TV about two weeks ago. So follow me okay. on Twitter. I link all these things all the time on my social media. Uh, so I, yes, I covered it there. I've covered the Stabbies on Rockfin probably ten times, um, but we don't cover it on this outlet because you can't. So there you go. Uh, the fourth hour of Lord Voldemort's show means Salix Sones. If you can figure out who I'm talking about, and you go to his website and you, it's it's it rhymes with gand.video you can figure out what that is gand.video rhy- the, the real website rhymes with that and then you type in Jay Dyer and you'll get a list of all the videos uh, where we discuss those topics and it's on Rockfin. so what I know i just said we did a rock fin show <laughs> jamie's in there like we did a rock fin show on this yeah i know that's what i'm saying <laughs> who's papa ewok oh green feathers okay anyway i'm sorry i'm not i'm not trying to be rude to you i am not i'm not mad it's just so uh, from my vantage point literally there's probably a dozen emails or uh text messages or dms every day about where can i watch the videos where you cover this so again we can't cover this stuff on youtube that's why we do a lot of this stuff on Rockfin, and that's why we do a lot of this stuff on the fourth hour of Salek Sones's show. Anybody else? Uh,
4: just a quick
14: question. Hey, Jay. Sure? Um, yeah, go ahead. Other guy, you can go ahead. Okay, yeah, I just have a quick question about Holy Communion. Um, just want to know.
2: The- Holly who? <laughs> Holy Communion, just, or you? I'm joking, bro. It ho- sounded like Holly. It's just a joke. Go ahead.
14: Oh, okay. Uh, I guess English is my second language. Um, but just just wanted, I guess uh, I've been reading about this recently, and uh, it seems that uh, early believers or Christians used to uh, partake in it every day. And then there's some documents, historical documents, that kind of touch on it, and uh, where um, I guess they had rules, if you don't partake in it um, every week, or if you attend um, uh, liturgy and you don't partake in it, you would be uh, picked out of the church, more or less. So nowadays, uh, at my uh, whoa,
2: church... Whoa, 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 uh, slow down here. First of all, I've never heard this. Um, I don't know, what what are you talking about, like the Didache or something like that? I mean, I I don't know what you're referring to. I've I've never heard that the early church said, if you don't take the Eucharist every day, you're kicked out of the church. I've never heard this. Where where are you getting this?
14: No, no, no. Uh, um, uh, I think it's called, the document is called Apostolic Canons, and I believe in them. They say if you attend a a liturgy Mm -hmm. and you do not partake in a, a Holy Communion, you would be kicked out I I believe it's uh, Uh, well I uh, think the correct reading is if you go more than three weeks without
4: communion you're considered excommunicated
2: right so remember first of all that it's not the duty of every individual Christian to weed through ancient canons and canon law and try to apply them so that's the job of the bishops and we don't literally apply every ancient canon word for word the way that they're read now it's impossible to even do that so, yes, there are ancient canons that talk about all kinds of things like this and you, you can't go to the shows. If you go to the shows, you're excommunicated. Yeah, but you have to understand the context of the shows at that time required you to participate in idolatrous sacrifices. So, um, if you're new to orthodoxy, I'm not saying you can't read ancient canons, but this is not the, the spur route into orthodoxy. Don't do that. Learn the basics first. Don't worry about canon law. It's not, it's not, your, it's not what you're tasked with. Yeah, no. I'm, I was just asking the question,
4: the question, because um, the church that I go to, and, and I am mm-hmm. uh,
14: baptized. Okay. But uh, the church that, I, yeah, the church that I go to, uh, typically you're supposed to, um, you know, pray and fast for seven days before you partake in it. And um, I was curious. You know, I read on some other websites from some um, Greek Orthodox churches that they expect their um, uh, well people to partake in it every week so I'm not I don't know I just wanted uh, uh, to ask you what your take on it is and what you normally do at your church how do you prepare uh, to partake in it more or less so that
2: well we fast the the morning and sometimes you might be fasting the night before I've never heard anybody say you have to fast for a week before communion that would mean you you always fast which doesn't make I've never heard this so I I don't know are you, do you go to, like, a old calendar church or something? I don't know. I don't. No,
14: no, no. It's a, it's a Serbian Orthodox church. Well, Father and, Deacon uh,
2: could speak to this. Uh, you could speak to this over me. I, I don't know about this.
14: Yeah, I've, I've never heard
10: that. If you think about it, too, especially because um, I serve at a Serbian parish, but um, in the Orthodox countries, I mean, if you think about the way the monks do it, that's... Sh- that's kind of the rule that uh i should say rule that's the if all things are good and you had this on your country you would do if you could what the monks do liturgy every day um so i really don't know you fast before the liturgy um typically you're told that uh you know, before midnight, you stop eating or drinking something. You should be doing uh, your pre-communion prayers um, in the Psalms before that. Um, that's all just kind of standard. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really kind of clear. The ideal situation is you would be going to liturgy and taking the Eucharist every day, which means you fast the night before. Um most of us don't live in an opportune uh, situation like that, and so we have to go once a week. And you fast the, you fast the night before. I've never heard any requirements uh, or even um, suggesting that you should fast longer than that.
2: And I would say too, for a lot of people, because uh, a lot of people have the—I'm t- not talking about you specifically, uh, guy who asked the question—but a lot of people have the tendency to like they want to like jump into doing like the most extreme ascetical feats, as if why don't do, get get in the regular pattern of doing the basics first. If you try to jump into all some kind of great aesthetical feat before you're even doing the basics of of doing the daily prayers and reading scripture every day, I mean, it's just going to be a mess. So. A lot of this stuff—that's as we advance in the spiritual life—you can worry about those things down the road, I would say. But again, I'm not your spiritual and father. I,
10: I would also say don't don't do
2: anything on your own. Exactly. Don't fast. Don't add extra prayers
10: without talking to your priest. Um, again, your priest is your spiritual trainer, and just like you wouldn't go into the gym and be
0: Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.
1: Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha
13: Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof.
1: Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.
11: Okay, round two. Name something that's not
3: boring.
1: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
3: (sighs) Ah, Sorry, we were looking for Chumba
11: Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com.
10: No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Without knowing what's going on, just go for the heaviest weights and do all this stuff because you're all pumped up and um, got a bunch of zeal. You'll hurt yourself.
4: Yeah. And exactly. the priest
10: knows that. And so it's better to start off small and consistent. Work your way up because what happens every time is somebody gets hurt and they fall into despondency. I talked to my priest about this today, too, that the devil will... There's times when we're, we're praying at much higher levels and there's times that we fall off. And what the devil will do is, he will use that to go, look at you, you wretched, (laughs) you wretched creature, Um, you, how far you have fallen, Um, and what is he trying to? What is the demons and the devil trying to get you to do? Despair,
2: despondency, despair, yeah. And so, talking with the priest in confession today about,
10: and he was like, those additional and long prayers that you do. Um, don't focus on that is the means of your spiritual progress do your daily prayer rule that that I'm always because I'll do the daily prayer rules and then the kind of extended longer prayers or an apathies or something like that well it's hard sometimes to keep up that momentum and guess what happens to me in my mind is I'm like what's the matter what happened to me well we have ups and downs right and so again all of this you don't want that to be a measure, right? Uh, if you do, you'll, the demons will get you and you'll fall into the spawn seat. And make sure that you constantly talk about your spiritual and prayer life with your priest. They'll have the insight to tell you where you're at, what you need to do. Um, and they've seen this over and over. We can't really see in ourselves um, what's going on. So that's what I would recommend.
2: Uh, we got a few super chats. Uh, Big Papa F says twenty bucks. Keep up the good work, Jay. My wife and I love your channel. Thank you very much, bro. Appreciate that. Rolf Steaks ten bucks. Do what is going on with P F I Z E R CEO neck? Uh, I've not seen this. Is this sounds like a like a Cheetah Uri a David Ike level uh, question of the of something happening with his neck? I'll have to go watch and see. Golden Man two thousand seven fifty dollars. I believe. Uh, James Jordan and George Grant became Orthodox many years no they didn't become Orthodox well I don't know about George Grant but uh, no to my knowledge James Jordan has never been Orthodox bro I have have to disagree with that Um, again my godfather literally just like a few months ago went and met with James Jordan estate to buy the rights to his uh, studies of the book of Revelation because uh, Dean is wanting to write a book and he wants to use a lot of Jordan's material, um, and no, I mean he would have told me if Jordan had become orthodox. I, I, don't. I mean, I hope he does, but I don't think you're right about that. George Grant, I don't know about. I remember him from the Auburn Avenue controversy days, uh, but I, I don't. I have no idea what he is. By the way, there's a video of Bonson and Sproul conducting a, a heated. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I, I watched. I listened to the Bonson Sproul debate on tape. In, two, in uh, 1999 or 2000, probably before even the events of the Big Nine. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm very familiar with... I probably heard that debate 10 times over the years. It's really crappy quality, unfortunately. Uh, it's on YouTube. So... And it, it's an interesting debate. Uh, it, I mean, Sproul doesn't even get the, what Bonson's saying. So... Unfortunately, it's not that instructive, but it does kind of show the, the fact that the people that do evidentialist foundationalist type, they don't even get what people are saying from the tag side. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with that debate. Uh, J-Mell, $30. Thank you for turning me onto father Peter hears his book on ecumenism and Vatican two. Yeah, it's a great book. It's tremendous and answers a lot of my questions about Catholicism. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I didn't, you know, he says, he had said a long time ago in that book that what Vatican II do, does is that it really kind of restructures ecclesiology around a concentric spheres, ecclesiology so that the Pope and Rome are in the middle and then the Orthodox and then <clears throat> Anglicans and then uh, Protestant and then evangelicals and then Muslims and then Hindus. So everybody's basically part of the same religion, just on a different uh, scale. Right. Which is ridiculous. But, um, that, that's a really important insight. Green feathers, $10. Thank you. Green feathers. Um, anybody else in the discord chat? We've been going for almost four hours. Go ahead. I had a question.
6: Um, sure. I just wanted to know if you would consider, um, Classical logic as one of the transcendental categories, like something that is, uh, it answers to that same
4: moniker.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think logic is a, a transcendental ne- necessity for the possibility of knowledge, absolutely. Okay, thank you. Sure. I mean, sentences are closely related to logic and math. For example, anytime you predicate of an object, you're in, invoking some one-in-many relationship, right? And you're invoking an, um, something, some sort of metaphysical status. The, the, the tree is green, right? Or the, the, the tree is tall, right? You're, you're making these sort of statements that assume metaphysical things and states of being. I mean, again, we're not asking the question of do we know there's an external world, right? I understand that if we're going to be nominalists and empiricists, we're going to be, end up in solipsism. But since we're not solipsists, for the Christian paradigm, uh, sentences require logic. Absolutely. In other words, it, w- it would make no sense to say, well, I believe that sentences and, and grammar has meaning, but uh, there's no such thing as logic. Well, then you would just literally cancel out the possibility of language. So, yes by virtue of saying that if you think that you can make meaningful sentences and propositions then by necessity you're assuming logic as well
4: because- would, would
6: you also say that um you view classical logic as kind of a, a necessary condition to articulate any other paraconsistent form of logic like i often bring the argument that if uh, dialetheism is a logical system it is itself it's not kind of not itself and it's not its negation and that's kind of how i think about the transcendental nature
2: of classical logic do you would you adhere to that as well well i think even those other types of logic uh are they're they're interesting from uh like a thought experiment kind of perspective but the world as we know it and the metaphysics that we have for our paradigm Require uh, at least some of the fundamental elements of classical logic. So I don't even think those questions are even really. It's like when somebody, I'm not, I know you're not talking about quantum physics, but it's like when somebody says, bro, what about quantum physics? It destroys classical logic. Well, I mean, the possibility of any kind of knowledge for a human, right, requires the world to be a certain way, at least in some aspects. So The fact that there might be other types of higher dimensions where maybe physics works in a different way, isn't really relevant to the way that we're constituted to have human knowledge. So it's almost like an irrelevant question in the sense of epistemology. So we're talking about for humans to have the possibility of knowledge requires something like the Aristotelian categories. And if there's a higher dimension or some other possible world where, you know, something works differently, I mean, it might work to posit that for a thought experiment, but it's really irrelevant to the way humans are constituted to have human knowledge. Does that make sense? Father Deacon, he could probably speak to this better than me.
6: I guess I'm also asking if you would think it's fair to say that uh, something like in quantum physics they use non-reflexive logic, and if it's fair to say
2: that that system itself depends upon the classical laws... I think you could probably make an argument like that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would ask that too, that
10: um, in what relation does it have to kind of the standard logic that we have
4: too on... Um, sometimes you can get these formal mathematical systems or
10: formal that pragmatically get you you can do certain things um but i would like to know yeah at a more fundamental level how does that relate to the very issue of knowledge itself um does that always apply in every case uh the breakdown of uh disjunctions and stuff like that um so those are the kind of questions i don't I don't think it's an objection. It doesn't bother me or worry me. Kinda of like what Jay said.
6: But Father Deacon, would you say that you feel like a paraconsistent consistent logic still depends upon the classical laws in kind of a, a incidental sense? Well,
10: it certainly at the very least relates to it, right? That um, And so I'd put the burden of proof on the person to be like, well, why don't you explain to me how it relates Um, And furthermore, uh, let me know what. I mean. I don't like. Why would that be a defeater for a transcendental argument?
4: Yeah.
10: I mean, ultimately, you have to give an account for how knowledge is possible. Like, and so you're absolutizing something. Right. Um, The transcendental argument. One way you can formulate it is in the disjunctive. Well, I don't have to, right? There's something more fundamental to the transcendental argument than the disjunctive syllogism, because yeah. the disjunctive syllogism d- depends on yes. that transcendental argument. Um, it's epistemically prior to... So, yes. I really don't understand what their objections are, like, what, why that would be problematic. And maybe you're right, yeah, maybe I'll think about that some more, that... Um, well, still, doesn't it depend on a more kind of fundamental uh, logic?
2: It's kind of like.
10: Does it, does, it on, does it exist on its own? Like, those are all really important
2: questions it's kind of like when people pause it, well, how do you know that there's not a perfectly logically consistent universe where it's just an atom that exists and there's nothing inconsistent or incoherent with that. So there's another worldview that you, that proves your transcend argument false, but what they don't understand. And, and it's similar to the objection that JF brought up, you know, with his uh, computer universe of a planet or whatever that that's not actually a defeater because it's a question of justification so you positing that possible world actually doesn't function as a justification for the possibility of knowledge so they don't understand that the that the, that the, that the, yeah. the, the transcendental argument is, is making an argument about the justifications for the possibility of knowledge so you positing a uh, possible world where there's just a computer or just an atom actually isn't any kind of defeater or a justification it's, it's really saying nothing because, I think on, on
6: J.F.'s view, he doesn't use this these words, but I think he's kind of a Lewis-style modal realist. Yeah. I think he believes that yeah. the imagined worlds really
2: exist. Which is, right, to confuse potentia with actuality, which is exactly what the sim theory people do, as we're going to see when I go through the analysis of this guy's book. You'll start to notice that he's making the same mistakes of people like J.F. and others who are arguing that, well, if it's potential... It has to also be actual. And that's the, something that Father Deacon's pointed out with the, the Lewis guy, that, that what happened is that some of these physicists don't understand philosophy, so they actually think that when philosophers talk about possible worlds, that somehow that, that makes them ontologically real. It's just kind of stupid, really.
10: Um, you should watch that video of uh, Professor Dreyfus up in Berkeley... Um, Hubert Dreyfus who's a uh,
2: Phenomenologist
10: He's, you know, he's uh, One of the leading Heideggerian Scholars but he's yeah. an interesting figure because he also um, Taught at MIT And has Quite a bit of Interactions with The,
2: uh, the Computer science guys And their AI project yeah, we, we read Dreyfus in my uh, Grad phenomenology classes so we had to read him, Husserl, Heidegger, yeah. uh, and uh, Dermot Moran in, in our grad class. So I know who you're talking about. His,
10: his critique is hilarious because he's like, these scientists keep thinking they're coming up with novel things, like they're on the cutting edge. He's the first person to come up with this idea, and he's yeah. like, don't you realize that this stuff has been thought through in philosophy and failed like, hundreds and thousands, you know, sometimes even a thousand years, 2000 years ago. And they're like, we're working. We got, they don't even realize because They don't read philosophy that
4: they've already worked through these ideas.
2: Primary example. Primary example is this MIT guy's book on simulation theory, Rizwan Virk that I'm covering right now. Uh, Because later on in the book, he starts talking about potential worlds and actual worlds. And they literally, they're literally thinking that anything that they're collapsing, potentia into actuality pure act so it's like a reverse Thomism, where anything that's potential has to also be actual
10: and they kind of get this way too if you think about if they can get a formal system or if they get the mathematics
2: to check out they think they've proven it yeah well that under their ignorance is uh it just
4: the philosophy of science that
11: you
10: can have multiple paradigms and you get all the mathematics to check That's not what makes it real. But for a physicist, they're like, oh, we did it. We've proven through the mathematics the ontology. So they're making the same mistake with these uh,
4: possible worlds. If the possible world formally works out
2: and the mathematics is good, therefore it's actual. (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, it's so dumb. It's like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, uh, so... They're operating on a on a naive empiricist uh, epistemology, and then they don't even realize they're starting to do metaphysics with all this yeah with all this gibberish. At the same time, it's still saying that we don't do metaphysics, even though they don't realize all this quantum gibberish nonsense is literally the reintroduction of fantasy and metaphysics. It's just it's just crazy. Like they don't they, like you said, it's physicists don't know anything about philosophy, and then they're coming up with with philosophical concepts from two thousand years ago. That are already been yep. argued. So
10: every single I, I challenge any of you to find some type of scientific theory that wasn't already worked out philosophically in the history of philosophy. Well that would the, be um, an interesting project.
2: The ironic thing is like the the in the salmon theory book, the guy's like he's an MIT guy and he's like, whoa bro, it's like Carl Jung, it's like Plato. He's like, he's like, we discovered Jeez. Plato <laughs> Like dude, you didn't discover anything. Like you're just repeating Gnostic systems from two thousand years ago. It's like, yeah, yeah, good
10: point. I'm sorry, you got to read through that book, man.
2: Well, no, actually, it's actually interesting because it's showing that the the science tech crowd of people is realizing the collapse of the last hundred years of materialism. And they're trying to make sense of it, and they're trying to cope with intelligent design arguments and principles. They're like, "Oh, whoa! It looks like the it looks like the universe is actually like totally super designed. It's crazy. It's like the creationists, Christians, have been saying this for a long time. What are you talking about? They're acting like it's some great discovery, and it's like they're just trying to steer all of the creationist design arguments that are uh, coming about in the last several decades that are really just impossible to ignore." They're trying to steer it into, oh, but we live in a simulation. And by the way, you know what
4: they're going to
10: do? They're going to go the movie Interstellar Route, right? Well, this intelligence must be coming from some. It's not coming
4: from God, it's coming from ourselves in the future. No,
2: he, he actually. No, he discusses that in the book. He says the different.
4: I know. It's like,
2: yeah. He says the different possible theories are aliens. Some kind of Gnosticism of an evil Creator God that's imprisoned us, uh, or uh, our future selves have advanced to the degree that we're in a simulation that they put us in. We don't even know. So, yeah, he mentions that actually.
10: Well, that's what I said in class the other day. You know, I was holding up Newton's uh, Principia and Einstein's relativity, and I said, "Actually, did you know?" that I actually built a time machine, went back in time and
3: taught them all of this. It's not their word. They're ripping me off <laughs> Yeah. in the future. <laughs> I mean, if they can pull that off, why can't
10: I? I'd be like, no, I wrote all these works. I wrote Kant's Critique of Pure Reason, Einstein's Relativity, um, what's another good?
2: There's probably some schizo right now who's literally trying to argue that and try to copyright like all the great classic works of literature and say that they're actually his
10: there's probably a bunch of people in discord writing down
2: they're like okay what was that again <laughs> all of our discord schizos are literally writing that down trying to figure out how to argue that in the court they're like no actually because there was a dude there was a dude who was saying that bitcoin is actually an evolved super ai that's 500 years advanced from us and he the, the bitcoin ai is imprisoning us and we don't even know it so actually the simulation is run by bitcoin which you didn't know but yes
10: that's actually, it's quite creative. They make for nice stories. They
2: make for nice bedtime stories you'd like to tell your children. Well, they're actually, but um, but they're kind of like recycled, uh, like Philip K. Dick style. I mean, it's just like, I feel like I'm just hearing Philip K. Dick all over. By the way, (laughs) Philip K. Dick, uh, he actually believed in simulation theory. He said, we're living in a simulation. So, and of course everybody knows he was like, you know, straight up Gnostic, but. Yeah, it's, it's just rehashing the same ancient stuff all over again that they think they're making some grand discovery. It's no different than, like, the stoner who, you know, trips really hard. Yeah. And goes, Bro, we're all one. I just realized that nobody's ever thought of this. Dude, we're all one. Yeah. Well, I was kind of thinking when
10: you were going through that, I'm like, it sounds like um, drug abuse and weird thoughts that a person would get from... Messing with their minds, which I guess that's what bad philosophy is. It's dr- it's a uh, it's, <laughs> it's a kind of drug abuse. It's, yeah. uh, nobody ever says they want to grow up. When they grow up, they want to be um, a, a bad philosopher. <laughs> Subscribe to a false paradigm. I learned it from watching you, Dad.
2: So uh, two chin says for five dollars the premise of Bitcoin is based on Satoshi being wrong about Bitcoin. Okay. So I'm sure that's a super 7,000 IQ statement that I just don't get. But <laughs> I, I have no idea what that means. So uh,
10: I got to let you go, man. I got to go get dinner. Great. Right. Uh, thank you. Have, thanks for having me on Jay.
2: Yep. Thank you.
10: Welcome.
2: Any, uh, last questions before we close out tonight? We went four yeah, hours. To
14: ask about if I can. Okay about uh, the primacy of honor and eucharistic ecclesiology because i got confused by reading the primacy of peter
2: wait wait wait! primacy of honor and eucharistic ecclesiology what do you mean
14: Uh, how is that connected to Constantinople or
13: Rome like does it mean
2: eucharistic or orthodox I'm confused
13: eucharistic ecclesiology
2: um I don't know what you mean by eucharistic ecclesiology you just mean the orthodox idea that the fullness of the church is in the local church?
5: Um.
14: Well, it's from the book, if you read it, Primacy
2: of Peter by John Rough. No, I don't I don't have that book. Meyendorf?
14: Meyendorf,
11: yeah.
2: Oh, okay. No, I have uh, like four of Meyendorf's books. I don't have that one.
12: Okay, yeah. never mind.
2: Okay. So, uh, but I, I, mean, I'd be glad to ask, answer. What, what's the question exactly about, uh, primacy of honor?
12: A primacy
14: of honor. Like, uh, we attribute that to the Constantinople, right? But what's
0: that? What does that mean? like?
2: Well, it's a canonical privilege. So if you look at, um, Constantinople one in the canons of Constantinople one, that's when you have the first instance of the statement that Constantinople would be equal to Rome, old Rome, in the primacy of honor. So the mindset of the church fathers that Constantinople won clearly wasn't Vatican one because they thought that Constantinople should have the equal honor as Rome. And then uh, it, by the time of Chalcedon, the famous Canon 28 debate, right, is rejected by Leo, not because Leo thought that he was a Vatican I super bishop, but Leo says that it violates the order of, of Canon 6 of Nicaea. So the Leo's argumentation disproves the Roman Catholic position because he doesn't argue that Canon 28 is wrong because he's the supreme infallible judge. Rather, he appeals to Canon 6 of Nicaea, which says that Constantinople can't be raised above Alexandria so Roman Catholics is way out of out to left field on this they don't even know the context and the actual historical debate on the issue but primacy of honor is again um if Rome had not uh, apostatized Rome would have the primacy of honor in being the Petrine and Pauline see it, it was called doubly apostolic uh, but by the way, as Denny shows in his book Papalism, it was not the only Apostolic See. Any See that had Apostolic Succession is called by many Church Fathers Apostolic See. So again, it's another it's another one of those names that Rome appropriates over time, um, and then says, "Oh, we are the only Apostolic See," right? But if you look at when Irenaeus talks about Rome, he says it's doubly apostolic because of Peter and Paul. And then when you go read Vatican I, it actually rejects the argument of Irenaeus and says you cannot say that Rome's primacy has anything to do with it being Peter and Paul. Paul has nothing to do with this. It's only because Peter died there and supposedly gave some kind of special uh, privilege to the Bishop of Rome, which again, they have to say that because Peter is the founder of Antioch. So if the Antioch succession comes from Peter, why doesn't it have the Petrine supremacy? Oh, well, because Peter died in Rome. It's like, literally, that's what they base it on. Well, there's just a special privilege there because he died there. And where is this from? Oh, because Vatican I, right? Uh, And if you look at the, the privileges of Rome, when it says that Rome has a doubly apostolic privilege, that doesn't mean anything to do with, like, ex cathedra, infallible pronouncements. And that's why there's so many canons in each of the, uh, the ecumenical councils that's contrary to Vatican I, which proves that the church in those centuries did not have the Vatican I mindset. And that's why the church of Rome many centuries later propped all this up with forgeries because clearly it wasn't in the first thousand years. So they had to rely on all these misappropriations, forgeries, uh, out of context quotes from Augustine, from Leo, Um, And then when the modern-day Roman Catholic apologists get shown up on all this, they just go after us personally and say that we're all just a bunch of demons and evil people because they can't answer any of these uh, from a scholarly standpoint, a.k.a. Ibarra, Lofton, and all that crew of goobers. So, um, primacy of honor just means simply that. Canonical privilege. Read the canons of the councils and see how they treat the Bishop of Rome, They do not treat it like Vatican I, and that's why Roman Catholics contradict themselves by saying that, on the one hand, it was always the case that the Church universally understood the Bishop of Rome to be supreme, infallible, and universal in his jurisdiction. And then they turn around and contradict and say, well, it was a seed thing that evolved over time. It wasn't always there. That's a contradiction, Goobers. Both of those things can't be true at the same time. And you all argue both of those things. Half the time it's one, half the time it's the other. It can't be both. It can't always be true and universally understood, but also a seed thing that evolves. It's just so stupid that we have to constantly deal with these dumb arguments over and over and over because they're lazy. And they don't read this stuff. They don't care. Two chin says for Go ahead. Two chin says for two dollars. I said BTC, not okay, so here we go. It's this we have to do the same argument over. I'm not making that. I'm not getting into that argument with you. So I know you believe in the conspiracy theory, and go go believe that. Go good for you. Good job, dude. Uh, I don't care. I, I don't believe. I'm not convinced. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?"
1: Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah In my dentist's office.